Hey guys, it's Kelsey here. Just wanted to let you know that this uh, episode has some themes and subjects that might be triggering to you dealing with rape, sexual assault, etc., uh, etc. Et so if this episode might be triggering to you, we completely understand. We want this to be your happy, safe space. So if you don't feel comfortable listening to this episode, that's 100% okay with us. We'll see you in the next one. Bye. Welcome back to Jack the Last Podcast. I'm Carrie. And I'm Kelsey. And we're here to talk about the BBC HBO show Gentleman Jack and generally have a gay old time. Woo. Back at it again, episode five. And it's a doozy. Downer. <laughs> Ooh, it's yeah. a real Debbie Downer this episode. <laughs> oh, it really is. Um, so let's get down to it. Um, so we do start with this gorgeous uh, shot of Ann Lister watching over Ann Walker as she's like asleep. And we kind of get the feeling in that opening scene uh, that she's overslept way past normal, kind of in a depression sleep kind of way. Uh, she seems really the most out of it that we've really seen her uh, in the course of the series. Um, and so as of last episode, we know what Mr. Ainsworth did to her uh, and how he is kind of hell-bent on harassing her and uh, into being his wife and kind of uh, emotionally and, like, almost literally blackmailing her um, with, you know, if you expose me, you will look worse, uh, you know, and having the privilege of being a man and, you know, a clergyman uh, protecting his reputation. And so pressuring her into marriage um but and lister is basically like basically sits over her and is basically like we'll figure this out together and it's really beautiful and really sweet um i will say my favorite line in the scene was i sat for breakfast i sat for breakfast with miss parkhill she and i had a polite skirmish about which one of us would come up and see if you were awake i won as she just like lightly strokes her hair and I love the scenes when they're personally in bed and being like super vulnerable, like in this, like they're in the nightgowns and their hair is all like not quaffed. I love the scenes like that, where it's just like them as women, but women in the way that like, they look more contemporary, I guess is what I'm going for. You know what I mean? Where it's like. They, and they, that little kiss is so cute too. It's just so like sweet. I like I won't, I can't wait for more domestic lesbians in season two. It's going to be a lot more Me of those too. moments because they live together. Yeah, moments of them like literally having their hair down and like yeah. just being not in moments like that. It feels the drama feels a lot more contemporary than you know a, you know when they're in the full regalia and of being a nineteenth century woman. You know. Um, my next note was, oh, we don't use this word on this podcast. Screw Mr. Ains worth. I, my, I, I just wrote Ains when I was, as I was like, quickly <laughs> taking notes. Um, he can't even fake being sad enough, which is so gross. He, like long enough. He literally comes to, um, to her family estate, to um, the Walker family estate and is like, oh, Yes, they were, and uh, the Priestleys are like, oh, it was good of you to come all this way so soon after your wife died. And he's like, she wouldn't have wanted me to, like, you know, be sad very long. She would want me to come to this bishop audition. <laughs> um, it's not an audition. I don't know what, what you would call something it. Something about, like, being on the church or something. I don't know. But you know who that is, though, right? The actor? No. Are right, you remember Evelyn Napier from Downton Abbey? Yes, I do. That's really? The, that's him, yeah. Even the Napier. Oh, yeah. Oh, I love all the Downton crossovers. I truly do. I know. <laughs> I mean, so far we've only had two. Yeah, but, this is our second one. Uh, but yeah, that's Evelyn Napier. Oh, so good. Um, yeah, and so he, try, he... He's like running the perfect con on her family. Um, he's basically like, you know, I figured... And Walker would be the only one who understood what I was going through since they were so close. Um, you know, and he mentions that anecdote that 
stood out to Anne too. It was like, oh, I always thought he was joking, saying if something, uh, oh, uh, that Mrs. Ainsworth was always joking. If something happens to me, I want you two to take care of each other and marry each other. Um, which it's just so gross <laughs> that he's like, he he's just unloading every sort of thing in his arsenal to appear the most respectable uh, possible. And then he sends over his a scrapbook um, that they had apparently looked at together with his wife. Um, and then a biographical account of his life. Is that like a diary? Do you, I don't know what, when you want to marry light? somebody, you just like write a quick bio and like send it to him. Here's everything about me, BT dubs. Since we can't really like date because yeah. we don't do that in this society. It was weird. And his hat was weird that he wore to the door. Like his whole, everything <laughs> about him is weird. Uh, he's so terrible. Oh, I wrote, do we say, the B word on this podcast. Yeah. Okay. I wrote this bitch uh, in front of the note where he goes, I'm not intruding on anyone's. And he like trails off and the subtext is like territory slash property. Um, when he's talking to the priestly is basically being like, you know, it's not inappropriate for me to paint, to pitch myself as a suitor to her. And they're like, Nope. Ah, there's no one of interest that she's in love with. So, um, nope, which is such garbage. They are so willing to, to like, pull her away from Ann Lister to, like, literally the first available gentleman caller. It's just, oh, the priestly suck. They uh, really do. Miss the priestly suck. Miss Parkhill sucks. This whole episode just, like, brought a lot of, like, bad trauma up for me. And I'm just like, screw all these homophobic people. Because Miss Priestley's terrible. I, like, really hated her in this episode. I mean, it was bad. Like, I had, like, sincere feelings of, like, loathing towards her. No offense to the actress, but... So he... So she's like, I'm not seeing any visitors. Oh, so the reason why he asks this question is she sends a note back saying, I'm indisposed. I'm not seeing anyone today. And that's why he asks the Priestley's, like, is she, you know, is she shooting me down because she has someone else? And they go, no, no one. no. I guess it's just too soon. I guess she's mourning. Um, and so he tries to hand deliver the weird scrapbook thing, not respecting her consent at all for definitely not the first time. And we do see a, a bit of a uh, backbone Anne, which is power bottom my man. favorite. When she, yeah. Power bottom man. <laughs> he comes to the door. The servant goes in and is like, he's here. And she's like, what did I just say? said i'm not seeing anyone that's not miss park hill or miss lister tell them adios um and then basically and then we cut to the lesbians alone uh as ann walker gets ready for bed um and she's rubbing and and lister's rubbing a ointment on her spine so she is having a back pain as well as this like sort of emotional uh you know pt a little bit of ptsd it seems like um and i'm like i did have the moment. It was like a very serious scene, but I was like, oh, this ointment that she's putting on her spine is 100% going to do nothing because it's 19th yeah. century medicine. And it's just like, like that just like, so sad. I'm like, literally everything you're doing is pointless because you just don't have the science. And I just felt so bad though. for her. Uh, yeah, no, it was very sweet. It was very tender. It's like rubbing Vicks on someone's chest for them. It was very sweet. Oh, um, um, real quick, I do want to run back though to the scene with Miss Parkhill. And they're talking about go George Cuvier real quick. Yeah. Yes, go for so it. So in that scene it. before, um, it's Ann Lister, Harriet Park Hill, and uh, Ann Walker. And they're talking about uh, Ann's experiences in Paris. She's basically like, she tries to charm everybody she comes in contact with. So she's telling like Harriet Park Hill about George Cuvier and science. And I love it because it's how, as a Christian, I feel about science. That it makes God look cooler instead of like refutes everything. I love that part. And then also... There's a flashback that got <laughs> there's a flashback that got cut out of the show that's in the script. I'm not going to read it because it's actually a pretty long scene. It, a lot of it's in French, um, but it's basically Anne in Paris with George Cuvier. Um, she's like wanting to observe him doing surgery, but she's not really allowed to because she's a woman. But she talks him into it by saying, you know. I have this issue with my gender. I f don't feel like a woman. I feel more like a man, but like I don't have the parts. And, you know, George Cuvier, Cuvier asked if she's like a hermaphrodite. So if she was born, you know, with, you know, intersex basically. Yeah. And she's like, no, I'm not intersex. 
I just have these feelings about my gender. And like George Cuvier thinks she's like really interesting. So she lets her like observe him doing surgery, which women were not allowed to do. So that's really cool. And it's our first foray into really realizing that Anne Lister does have some type of gender dysmorphia that um, we haven't really discussed up to this point. It's a really awesome scene. I wish they'd included it because it really explored her gender more. But it was a really beautiful scene. And George Cuvier seemed like a really chill dude. I want more of him. Yeah, He like respected her and was not put off by the fact that she was like she didn't say anything about her sexuality but she talked about her gender and he was more fascinated than anything and he was like sure i'll like give you private lessons and let you like observe my surgery with all these men in the room and you can ask as many questions as you want an ally it's really cool it's a really dope scene i hate that it got cut i my thing is like i think it was so interesting because genuinely at that time and you can make the case depending on you know different the way uh, biology is taught in schools nowadays, depending on literally where you grow up, they thought your biology controlled every aspect of your personality. Like phrenology was a thing you felt the bumps in your head to determine if someone's going to be a serial killer or a genius or whatever. Um, you know, palmistry was a thing, palm reading. Like they really did. But also, you know, beyond um, the basic, like, in terms of anatomy and like reproduction, they really did think men and women were designed entirely differently uh, in terms of like the brain chemistry and, and hormones and emotions. Like again, like the wandering uterus thing or the idea of a blue stocking, which was um, when a woman, um, they, they thought they genuinely thought in many medical circles that if a woman read too much, the blood that she needed to be, fertile that should be going to her uterus it's all being diverted up to your head so you're losing circulation and so they're in your in your lower extremities yeah what no this was really a thing and what? so blue stocking was an insult for a woman who was extremely bookish and it was also it was also the implication of like you are less uh sexually attractive or romantically interesting because you're you've read too much and you're too intelligent uh and it means your uh, baby maker won't work is so I'm like that is a thing like this is what you know people were dealing with in terms of uh gender and assumptions about gender uh, and psychology at the time so I'm sure Mr. Cuvier well like I don't know what like the French school of thought on this was but you know in 19th century England in it was closer to more of a Victorian age thing but the seeds of that uh, I believe were there in like the mid 19th century, this idea of like, so I, it was interesting that he was so down to have a woman uh, who was so intellectually curious and clearly so well-read and well-cultured and traveled and was willing to uh, share what he knew with yeah. her. Well, we always know French culture is always way more liberal than English culture, but still, I mean, he was yeah. an anomaly. He was very liberal thinking. I mean, he was doing science that's more lined up with what we believe now versus what was believed then that you're talking about. From what I know about him just reading the little bit I know about Ann Lister, I don't study him particularly. But, I mean, his science is more mm-hmm. aligned with, like, how we think today versus how people thought back then. So he's pretty, pretty very progressive. Yeah. So I can – I I wish we got in that scene because we see him for a second in that scene where she's dissecting the baby in episode two. Um, but that's all we really get of him. We <laughs> – accidentally skipped over a little bit basically uh in the before mr ainsworth uh makes his unpleasant appearance um that's criticism of the character not of the perfectly lovely actor uh who plays him um and lister asks to borrow money from ann walker to sink her coal pit uh you know and i will say this is how you know ann walker's rich as hell because she goes how much? Of course you can. Yeah. <laughs> like without even a blink of the eye. No, actually she asked it in a revo- reverse order. Of course you can. How much? Which is how, you know, it doesn't even matter what it is, but she knows the amount of money that she's going to ask her is nothing to her. Cause she doesn't travel. She's not spending. She's living so deeply below her means. Um, it, it's, you know, she just has it and she just keeps inheriting more and more. Um, which I mean, one, it's like beautiful that she is so happy to, you know, help her to put it in a contemporary context, girlfriend, um, do a business endeavor. I wrote in my notes. I was like, we stand a supportive girlfriend. 
truly. And, but also it's like, she's just, it means nothing to her, despite this thing that all these people are after her for, that even Anne Lister was initially after her for. Um, uh, this huge, like, she thinks nothing of it. Um, I just thought it was a, such an interesting character. I think she gave it, like, with a smile. Um, so, yeah, so moving ahead, because um, we'll get to more coal business later, uh, for better or for worse. Um, Ann Lister says they're in bed together. Ann Lister wants a more formal connection. And she's like, it's not enough for us to just keep, you know, doing what we're doing. And by that, she means, you know, being intimate together. But it's like, also, you know, I don't even really just want to live together. It's like, I want to approximate a wedding ceremony by swearing on the Bible privately, swapping rings and taking a sacrament, which a thing that, cause I'm, I grew up and I'm still a practicing uh, Episcopalian, which, you know, is the American sister of Anglicanism, which is what Ann Lister and Ann Walker would have been uh, or were. Um, they, the sacrament is a thing that you can, it's considered like, uh, I mean, some Episcopalian weddings do it. The ones that are like a little more formally Episcopalian and not just like a ceremony that like where you're like writing your own vows and doing, you know, things a lot more um, tailored to the couple. Um, you know, it, it's, I've been to an Episcopal wedding where it was like a key part of the ceremony to take communion together where not only the the bride and groom were, were taking it, but also the entire, um, all of the, the guests did it as well. So all doing, you know, the act of, you know, the body and blood of, of Christ and consider having that like more of a, a church service embedded in the wedding ceremony. So that kind of makes a lot more sense in terms of like, you know, yes, we swap the rings. Yes. You know, we will privately say the wedding vows on a Bible, but then also to have the sort of official element there of, um, being sanctioned, being sanctioned by the church without the church's knowledge, yeah. if that makes sense. No, I mean, I love how progressive Alice was about her faith. That's one of my favorite things about her. I almost want to yeah. do, when we do our bonus episodes, I would, I'd love to do this episode on, like, her relationship with Religion. her faith. Because it's a lot, It's we could spend a whole episode on it. But I love that scene. And just like, be- Anne's, the Anne's in bed. I just love it. Because they're just so oh, yeah. intimate. And then we all know everything's about to go to crap, so... <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's our last little moment we of like happy. Like ten minutes ago, and um, I like how we went like crap. Um, and we'll say the little exchange of like you'll get fed up with me is like you have such a poor opinion of yourself. It's like not with you, with you I can take on the world. I was like <laughs> <laughs> crying. I was like that's so adorable. Um, which you know you have such a poor opinion of yourself is a thing that Anne Lister points out to her multiple times throughout the series. Uh, notably also in the final episode after they get married where you know it's it's a very she's been put put down so much and in the episode twice they go oh the invalid is out yeah that's like like, that's so messed up it's so messed up and like it's said 80 percent jokingly 20 percent true Mm -hmm. uh with the tone of both characters who say it uh miss park hill says it once and i forget who else says it i think it's miss Priestley. priestley uh yeah and i was just like wow, she literally has everyone putting her down, like, all the time. Of course, this girl has no self-esteem. Calling her an invalid um, is, like, the English version of, like, saying bless your heart to somebody. But, you know, is a Southern, that's, like, a backwards insult. Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> truly. But, yeah. And they were just, you know, like, oh, you're so sickly. Mm-hmm. Poor girl. And I'm like, how are you going to do that to someone's face like that? Act right. Yeah. Um, but so we got to fast collab- forward, though, to, uh, well, not fast forward, it's the next scene. Uh, and com- confronting Mr. Ainsworth, which is yes. probably, uh, it's so good. <laughs> okay, wait, let's, let's back it up. So, um, Mr. Ainsworth, who sucks, um, is still at breakfast at the priestly, or it's a different day, but they were just always, they, they clearly just shot it in the same location at like the same time. Um, so the Ains collaborate on a very strong, strongly worded F off letter to, uh, Mr. Ainsworth, sending back all the gifts. Um, and says, by the way, Miss Lister will be reading all of your correspondence to me. Clearly a subtext would be like, don't put any like innuendos in there of what, you know, we, you did to me because someone else will see it and you'll out yourself. So it's in your interest to not say anything at all. 
um, cause I will immediately show them to her. Um, and also the insinuations that she should marry him. So it was like some, there will be a witness to this, understand that. And he immediately, um, backs off on asking, uh, Mrs. Priestley to intervene. She's like, Oh, I can go over and talk to her. He's like, no, no, no. Cause he's, he's definitely like, Oh, she's not playing around. She will rally people around her and I can be exposed. Um, then he, then Miss Lister comes by. She times it so perfectly, the note being sent, knowing that he'll still be there. And then she shows up like five minutes later and they're like, Miss Lister's here. Should we, and the servant's like, should I show her into a different room? And she's like, no, 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 I'll just bring her in here. I'll, you know, bring her some tea or something. And then at that moment, he tries to scamper upstairs. He's like, oh, you know what? I'm not, all of a sudden I'm uh, not feeling great. Uh, let me, let me get out of here. Um, literally, he does not get more than a foot above his chair when uh Ann Lister walks in uh he recognizes the name immediately and is shook um and she comes in <laughs> both at once is like two birds one stone this is she's playing like chess out here um it's like oh you know miss Priestley, i'm wondering if you had room in your day school for you know the kid who was who lost his leg in the gig accident obviously you can't work a farm with like one leg so um can you know let's get them literate let's get them doing some other things uh and this priest was like yeah sure sounds sounds good um yeah that's and like would you like to say and she's like no 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 um but she also comes to intimidate him uh like one so that she can see him and see what a, like an imposing figure she is but also every well also she implies that mr rawson did the gig accident but like kind of leaves it there um and so she like pointedly looks back at Mr. Ainsworth a couple times when she's talking about like propriety and stuff like that. Um, oh, she brings up the gig accident. And she's like, sorry, not to bring up something that must be so traumatizing to you. Yeah. Um, and he just looks like, like he's just so uncomfortable the entire time. Then she leaves immediately. She, you know, exits. Mr. Ainsworth immediately tries to charm and apologize for his over-familiarity with Miss Walker being like, you know, I was on some opium for uh, a toothache. He, totally. Not I recreationally. I wrote in my notes, I was like, he just tried to ambien, ambien nap this away. Like, he was like, it's like oh, the same equivalent, equivalent of somebody saying, I took some ambien last night. That's why I was like being weird. I was like, no, sir. Like, he like, nice wrote an ambien letter to Ann Walker. <laughs> and basically he's like, she's like, you know, you should get out of Dodge. There is nothing here for you. And Walker wants nothing to do with you. And then uh, Anne goes upstairs. She's like, oh, I'm going to go take a nap. Like, I'm, I don't want to think about Mr. Ainsworth anymore. You know, I think we got rid of him, whatever. Um, Which was a mistake for her to go upstairs. The scene made me livid. I was so, oh God. It's just so... I mean, I'll talk about it in a minute, but it's just so much, like, deep-seated, like, bad stuff that happened to me as a teenager. It just made me so mad. Yeah, because, like, she takes that moment to go, you know, and, and at this point, Miss Parkhill's like, oh, she's so cultured, and she's so worldly and smart and funny, and da, da, da. and she goes, and Miss uh, Priestley looks at, Mrs. Priestley looks at her and goes, Miss Lister is unnatural. And she's like, well, I know I studied science with Miss, with Mr., or I know she studied science with Mr. Cuvier in Paris, which is so... Like, in that moment, I was like, oh, Miss Parkhill's, like, so adorably, like, naive and dumb. Uh, it was very, it was a very pure moment. And then all of a sudden, Miss um, Priestley goes, no, 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 not that. And then we cut away. Um, and then yeah, we, we don't need are that. dealing with uh, Bad Dad Soudens. Yeah, Bad Dad Soudens being bad and dead. Um, and then we cut back to uh, Ann Walker waking up from her very long nap, I guess, if uh, Miss Priestley came and went. Um, but then Miss Parkhill is, like, crying. And she's like, I am so worried about, like, your mental health and your immortal soul because I think I know what you're doing and it is not good. And that just throws Ann Walker into, like, such a spiral that she kind of doesn't come out for uh, come out of for several episodes. Uh, and she sends Anne a letter basically being like, I don't know. Yeah. Well, she had a lot of, a lot of her anxiety was rooted in religious phobia. Um, and she had a lot of internalized homophobia and her, this kind of whole anxiety that kind of took them out was triggered by, um, what about her? It, sorry. 
her religious phobia was triggered by this thing with Miss Parkhill, which I was reading in the book last night. I don't think Miss yeah. Parkhill is the one that really triggered her. It was a few other things that happened. Yeah. Um, but in terms of the show, that's what really triggers her. And it's just really messed up. And this has happened to me before. Like I told you, somebody in high school's parent tried to spread stuff about me to other parents, like yeah. not wanting their kids to be friends with me. And then uh, the girl's mo- the girl mm. that I liked at the time, or didn't, and, well, you know, the girl that I liked and told her it went bad, whatever, you know, I was trying to tell my friends that I was, like, gay and stuff, but obviously they didn't care because everybody was pretty chill. So it was just, like, a lot of, I've dealt with people like this before, and they're just so set, and they're, like, mm. it's just, like, disgusting. This episode brought up a lot of, like, disgusting people, and it nailed it so well. I want to know, like, who... I mean, Sally Rainwright is a fantastic writer, but some of the stuff, it's so specific to those lived experiences that only queer people really have. So I want to know, like, you know, who helped her write this? Is it something she went through? I don't know. It's so specific, and it's something that's written so well. It has to be from the perspective of somebody that's been through it, or she talked to somebody that had been through that before. Because it's just, it was very accurate. Because like I said, I've been through the exact same thing. Yeah. And it's very much the sort of thing and like, you know, I'm sure our, I, I will definitely, um, you know, share a little of my own, you know, resonance uh, with this at a, on a later episode. But it's the sort of thing where it's like, it's one always framed as like, being in your best interest, like, I'm worried about you doing this thing. You know, it's not like, and the argument it kind of hinges on is like, I'm worried about your immortal soul. I'm worried about life being hard for you. I'm worried about, you know, these, these things that are, when they're framed from someone you love so benevolently as, you know, Miss Parkhill kind of tries to, to um, frame it uh, to Anne Walker. Cause cause truly I do think Miss Parkhill one didn't put it together before this, but then two, I think she was so young. And as we said, maybe not the sharpest tool in the shed, um, you know, got was so easily manipulated by Mrs. Priestley. Um, that she I think is the sort of thing she's like, whoa, she's dabbling in yeah. something dangerous. I don't know. I read it as pure homophobia because she's such a bitch socially, to Anne the rest more immediately and also eternally. And it's the sort of thing like not to excuse it, it's really because she treated Anne like dirt the rest of the episode. It was really disgusting. Yeah, I mean, when she's saying, I love and I love the fair sex, that whole, that whole speech, you know, she said, and also when she's talking about, like, you know, if it was illegal, I'd have to put the noose around my own neck. She, I identify with that whole speech because for me, it is true. I'm 110% gay. Like, I have no feelings of romance or sexual feelings towards men at all. Um, I'm 110% like gay. Um, and, I've not, I've felt this way since I was a child. Like I've, I knew that I liked women at five. I just didn't know what it was. Um, so I've, and we're vague, almost the exact same person that we've always known who we are and we've always felt like we didn't really fit in. And we always had a lot of trouble identifying who that person was in ourselves. But then we're also, as we got older, incredibly sure of ourselves and confident in ourselves and our sexuality. And it's like the first time I really, felt seen and this scene like was so emotional like I just had like a big lump in my throat this entire dining room scene and then the um the part where she gets up and she's you know Anne's trying to say that you know we can be friends still like I'll just take him for appearance sake and she was like I can't do that because I want you to be my wife and her voice cracks I was done I was like trying not to cry but I was done I couldn't handle it anymore that it just got me so good and that whole scene is just so beautiful. And I feel for Anne too, because I understand that internalized homophobia, but I'm also like, I just related so heavily to Anne in that moment and know what that heartbreak feels like in that moment. It was just really intense um, for me in that scene. Cause it was, I, I saw so much of myself and so much of like my past heartbreaks in that scene. We got the end of that whole scene cut out from HBO because 
you know, and they get up and say, we're going to go, we need to like be normal in front of Miss Park Hill. It cuts off in the HBO version. In the BB, BBC version, it keeps going. And you A, understand what the flipping title of the episode is about, because I did not understand the end of that till it like clicked in that scene that it's about French grammar and like your past perfect tense, which I should know. I took foreign language. And then also, too, they kiss. So there's like some, it's a beautiful up against the door kiss, which is just beautiful. And then also you hear Anne say she's going into Halifax to get her a present. And it gives context for that next scene where she's in the bookstore. The bookstore. I will say the bookstore scene seems so random where it's like, oh, I was going to get you a ring, but also I got you this cool Bible. <laughs> and I'm like, but this makes sense. If she does make it a point of saying, I'm going to get you something. And she knew yeah, exactly it, what she that, wanted. I was like, ooh. They cut that know, scene I mean, out and it gave so much context for the episode. Like that whole bookstore scene, I was like, oh, she's in here like yeah. buying a book? What? For who? <laughs> but then if you see that cut scene, it makes complete sense. I don't know why they cut it in the American version. And then also you get the understanding of what the flipping title is about. Because she's going to help Miss Park Hill with her French grammar. Um, I will say I love that she went to this bookstore and knew exactly the make, the model, of this book that she wanted. It was like with this marbling and did it. And like, you know, I, I date a book girl. So I'm like, <laughs> I very much appreciated that to be like, Oh, I want it to look like this. And then like the, you know, the cover and like all the, knowing all the, like the name, I don't know, like the names of the, the details and, and things like that, but that she knew, but I was just like, Oh, that's cool. Like she has a perfect, I don't know. Like, she's like, let me get the coolest Bible you have. <laughs> Yeah, and then also the flirting <laughs> Which, again, with those two like, women in there sweet, is. One... Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> that was so, like, I didn't initially peg it as flirting until, shout out to Shipton After Dark for explaining this, like, thing to me. I was like, oh, she's just uh, making small talk with these ladies. I was like, this is, this, like, me just, like, not understanding when women are flirting with me is, is a, a thing that happens when you're late in life. <laughs> queer person now you i could tell immediately because the way she like raised her eyebrows and then she was like i've read that twice it's very good and then she like watches them leave and like stares at their butts which i don't want she's looking at she can't see anything through those layers of dress but i i was like that's the player and that i like to see but she's and also she's so buoyed and in such a good mood from like you know, kind of feeling like she she solved the issue with Anne, which we'll see later. She 100% did not. Um, but she's, like, just so, like, excited and, like, yes, all right, we're going to get married. Dope. Um, but I will say when she does give it to her, uh, oh, a side note, like, giving religious texts and things was a very, like, social, like, exchanging books was obviously a very socially acceptable thing that you could get someone that you were interested in um and particularly a religious book you know so there's no risk of sort of impropriety like this is still a time where like novels were like like not frowned upon entirely you know but there is still a sort of thing like oh this is considered still somewhat frivolous so they're like oh i'm giving you a holy book no one can say anything about that ta-da um but then when she hands her this bible and really seems to like it but then immediately asks what happened to the rings and other things that oh i think we didn't cover Mr. Ainsworth had sent her a bunch of things over the years. She gave them to Anne. She's like, destroy them. And Anne hadn't gotten around to doing it yet, presumably. And so she's like, what happened to the things of Mr. Ainsworth that I gave you? And, she, and you see uh, Sarah Jones's face fall a bit. And she goes, oh, you know, I have them in a safe place. And then Anne Walker, but doesn't follow up, follow up with anything else beyond that. So it made me wonder. Um was there supposed to be more? Was there something? Cut? I don't think so. I think it was just her, like, in the back of her mind, like, thinking she, in the end, is still going to have to accept Mr. Ainsworth, so she needs to keep the stuff. Mm, okay. Um, oh, I'm so glad we have extra time to talk about this now. The Mr. <laughs> Abbott dinner scene. Aunt Anne killed so me in that good. scene. Her, like, facial expressions. It's so good in that it's so bad. Oh, man. I could talk. I wish we had done. Okay, when we are on hiatus, I just want a whole scene where we talk about Mr. Abbott. <laughs> oh, man, he's the worst. He's like the worst. He's like the most like, okay, so a, a, a thing we've talked about later in previous episodes is how, you know, the Lister family is all very skeptical of him because it's like, ooh, he worked in trade. He's rich in it. You know, he maybe he's 
either this generation attained a certain amount of wealth you know, in himself, or like maybe he's like only one or two generations out of um, making carpets. And by making carpets, he was not sewing them himself. He was like running, you know, some sort of carpet industry or something uh, like a business. Um, so there, the whole concern was that, oh, he's going to be is, like vulgar and like low class, um, you know, and he, he proves it to be true to a certain degree. He's so awkward and so obnoxious. Um, my first note was Marion, love yourself. She like looks at him like in awe, like everything he says. And she's chattering so excitedly, like talking, he's like, you know, this house is like really old. Have you thought about, uh, you know, tearing it down, starting afresh and all like, sir, this is one, the oldest house in like, I don't know, all of Halifax and like the greater Halifax area. People have lived here since the 1500s. What are you talking about? No. He's like, oh, I'm just saying, you know, you could get like heated floors and like all these, you know, other, it's like, you know, uh, it'd be great for your, uh, and he looks at like, oh my goodness, I wanted to die in this moment. Um, and he goes, <laughs> you gotta have gout, right? You know, or like uh, a sore or something. You're, cause you're old. You're, you're, you're old. You see what I'm saying? No offense. You just know you're like really freaking old, right? And, the woman just like looks at Antoinette's face. It's just so like, what is happening? And then Marion's like, she has, she does have ulcers. He's got you there. You do have ulcers. <laughs> Which I'm like, she's just so quick to yes and him and kind of try and like, she rec it's like on one level, she recognizes this is going poorly, but also just trying to like, see, like, see, you know, I mean, he kind of has a point. Um, and run the middle ground. I was like, oh girl, love yourself. It was so uncomfortable, but so yeah, and Anne's expressions that whole dinner were oh, like so, so good. good. It was just so great. And like the the um Mr. Lister, Papa Lister, kind of is just like taking it in stride. <laughs> he's like not shooting down and he's not like fighting back. And but I mean, nothing we've seen of him would indicate that that is something he would do. But he's just very much like, you can tell he's clearly like bristling at this, but like, oh, Marion, sweetie, aim higher. Um, and also it was very, it's also the sort of thing where it's like, she's, um, you know, above the typical age of marriage, like by at least five to, you know, 10 years uh she I don't know what age she's supposed to be but she's definitely supposed to be in her like late 20s early 30s which is many years overdue from for marriage um at this time period so she's clearly like so excited to have someone interested in her and I'm like oh girl please like try women I don't know something like this is not this is not it um and I I we think in real life, I don't think Marion... Uh, as I mentioned before, we, uh, she, I don't think she married. She, didn't, she never no, married. No, she didn't. No. Right. No, but she lived to like 1880-something, so she like outlived everybody. <laughs> oh, that's so sad. She must have... Uh, wow. Because like she would have seen Anne die, and then Anne Walker die, and then her obviously her dad, obviously uh, Auntie Anne. Ah. Uh, that's so sad because, like, I love Marion and I love Gemma Whalen's uh, portrayal of this character. She's so just full of life. I love it, and just such a stark contrast to like Yara Greyjoy. So great. Um, so okay, so yeah, so as and we've we've touched on this scene before where they fight with Miss um, Parkhill or like Ann Lister and Miss Parkhill are openly at odds, um, but. I don't know if we we talked about Anne Lister um, being on the receiving end of another one of Anne Walker's sort of like um, just a breakdowns where it's not even the homophobia. Uh, well, actually, yeah, it is. It's the, it is the uh, internalized homophobia where she's like she goes into a full anxiety spiral beyond like is what we're doing legally wrong. She's like clearly been meditating on this and just feeling the shame compound. And she's like, you know, what it is, what we do together, you know, 
I should not have told you that story about Mr. Ainsworth because now you're going to, you know, be mad at me for marrying him. I think I kind of should. I'm, a, I, I'm not ready to be ostracized. If anyone were to find out what we do together is against God, it's queer. Um, and she just like kind of goes lashing out to a degree at Ann Lister where she doesn't feel like Ann Lister feels it. Uh, I mean, she's saying with a lot of shame also, again, I think a lot of that also is resurgent from being so fresh off of Mr. Ainsworth coming back in her life. So she's like clearly dealing with, um, you know, a lot of things compounded from the first time ever sharing her survive her story of like survivorship. Um, and then also having to, to somewhat, although she never sees Mr. Ainsworth, having him re-enter her orbit again. Um, and then on top of that, the pressure, she's like, I'm disappointing my family. And again, as she said in the first episode, I'm the disappointment of my family because I haven't married and let alone married strategically, which this marriage a hundred percent would have been, um, viewed as. And so just the idea of like being ostracized, um, by more and more people knowing or figuring it out, which is like, as well as her religious, uh, you know, and like dealing with, uh, her girlfriend being in a fight with, Miss Parkhill and then um, cousin Priestley being messy and like spreading the, she's like, I don't, she like clearly like is not in a good place and can't handle it and ra- lashes out at Anne um, so harshly. I think under the assumption that Anne can take, can and will take it just because she ca- has been so patient with her in the past and kind of guided her through this experience. Cause I've, cause first and foremost, this is her first, as we bring up, as I bring up all the time, this is her first relationship. This is her first anything. And it's with a woman. So like, you know, she's going with someone who's clearly much more experienced um, and who seems so comfortable talking her down. I think she lashes out with the expectation that she'll do it again, but she crosses a line by in, in shaming, dealing with her own shame, shaming Anne and Anne won't have it. And she's very much like, has it occurred to you that I also have feelings which is something I think a lot of people think about more like masculine of center women that like we are more like strong and more staunch, but like we have feelings too, especially when you're like attacking our sexuality and like the core of our being. That was like rough. So I, I really felt for Anne in that moment. And when she was just like, Ooh, and when Anne says, you know, I'll still lend you the money regardless. And Anne's like, how dare you? She was like, if you were my wife, I would. But if not, I'm, I'd rather starve. And she's just like done. And I really, I mean, I, I'm on team Anne, like Anne Lister, this one. Because, I mean, I understand Anne's anxiety. But like that was, like that whole money thing was kind of a low blow to me. And like, I just understand what it is to like feel like that and feel like you've just kind of been defeated again. For me, see, like I definitely relate it. This is why this podcast works because I definitely... Yeah. <laughs> didn't necessarily identify with Ann Walker in this moment, but I definitely a hundred percent understood where she was coming from. Cause it was the sort of thing where it's like dealing with, and this is, you know, a thing for a later episode where it's like dealing with the, you know, the things you've been taught your whole life that you don't necessarily believe in the way of other people, but having hesitation when it comes to yourself and accepting your sexuality uh, in as well as your Christianity and like that sort of thing, or it's not the sort of thing where she's like losing her faith, but having to be like, Oh, I was taught this was, I would go to hell for this my whole life. You know, what if, you know, and and it's sort of thing. And like, obviously I like, that was not my, you know, I was very fortunate. I grew up in a very liberal wing of Christianity where it it was not like gay people were going to hell, but it was still things are like, Oh, but you know, should you be celibate? Should you just, you know, not, you know, it was definitely like more subtle things that like, luckily as the church is a progressive one and has evolved in a lot of ways since like the early, you know, definitely since the nineties and stuff when, you know, people started, you know, since I started to be aware of um, the various types of sexuality and the way it's perceived in the ways society deals with it and stuff like that. Um, but, you know, the messages that you do hear growing up, even if you like, don't believe them on a cerebral level, just having heard it over and over and over, you know, it, you, it does create a certain sort of anxiety, right? Like that a certain sort of like, oh, but just in case, what if this is some kind of wrong thing? What if this is, you know, not 
me being authentic to the way that God made me, you know, sort of thing. Or like, what if this is quote unquote wrong, you know, sort of thing. And this is her, like, who definitely, she is scared in this moment. And she really only has one person to walk her through this. And it's the person that she's doing this with that she's, she's in this relationship with. And so it's the sort of thing, but also she is naturally, and I'm like this too, a, very much a people pleaser. She's like, can't handle people being angry with her like at all, which is clearly, I think where the money thing comes from, which is like such a huge mistake for her to even touch. But the reason why she does it, she's like, you know, I still want to be friends with you. I don't bear ill will to you. I'm sorry that I hurt you in this moment is when, you know, when she's like spouting off of me, like, oh, we do is queer. It's wrong. It's evil. Da, da, it's bad. Um, it's very much a thing where she's like, I will honor my promise to you. I still want to be your friend. I still ha- care about you. I just don't know if we should keep doing what we're doing. And Lister takes it as like, no, I don't want this. I'm not going to be another one of the people that I know you hate most, the people who are just after your money and just want to take from you. Like, um, that doesn't interest me because, you know, if it's my wife giving me a loan, that's one thing. But you just thinking all of this comes back to your money is so deeply offensive to her. And I'm like, oh, I get, I 110% get why Ann Lister reacted the way she did. But I understand why Ann Walker felt the need to offer it as much of a mistake as that definitely was. Yeah. And there's actually, uh, I want to go to, I'm going to, I want to go to a passage in the Anne Choma book, which I think is really interesting. Um, I know we're doing a later episode on the actual book, but it really relates to kind of like how Anne views religion, like a Anne with E and then Anne Walker views religion. It's a quick little thing. I'll just read it real quick. Um, it's coming off the part of the book talking about wherever an Anne's worth, which was true that that part of the, the show is true about their, uh, uh, his sexual assault of her. Anne Walker was deeply God-fearing and the periods of depression that had marked her life to date had been characterized by bouts of religious mania. Now her increased anxiety forced her to question how a relationship with Anne Lister would appear in the eyes of the Lord. Unlike Anne, with Anne Lister, who had spent years combing the Bible for passages that helped her to understand her lesbianism as a God-given quality, Anne Walker had almost no time to reconcile the sexual attraction she felt to another woman with her rigid interpretation of the scripture. Now the memory of the adultery she had committed with Ainsworth forced her to confront the transgression of her relationship with Anne. It would mark the beginning of a rapid descent. Okay, so like for me as, you know a late in life bisexual, as I like to refer to myself. Um, it's the sort of thing where it's like, I didn't spend my whole upbringing. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's it's very interesting, because it's like, I definitely kind of see myself more in Ann Walker, because, because it's like, oh, you're a late in you're coming to your queerness late in life, you are realizing that so many, you have an explanation for so many of like, the like, disparate feelings you've had about like you know either being attracted to a particular person or just you know not being bothered by you know not having to do the thing where I don't know because we grew up in the south in very christian homes and stuff like that where it's like oh how do I what am I going to believe about gay people and we you know grew up in the time before gay marriage was legal um, before, you know, when don't ask, don't tell was still in effect, you know, there's so many things of like, there's so many weird and bad and terrible dehumanizing things that were legal and allowed in, in the culture that the two of us grew up in. That's very different than someone who, you know, is let's say Gen Z or the generation under Gen Z, right? It's going to be a very different sort of playing field in the way in which that they approach in the way which like, you know, in so many churches have come such a far way. Cause like even the, um, the Episcopal church, many of them like convened uh, about uh, five or 10 years before same-sex marriage was legal in the U S um, officially recognized it where they kind of decided we will bless gay unions. Like we obviously can't marry you because that's a legal contract and that's a thing through the state, but we will marry you in the way that we can yeah and so it's the sort of thing that times have I don't know it's the sort of I don't know hold on I'm trying to think where I'm going with this I identify with her having the sort of 
moment of I'm now I'm happy in that I understand what I want and I have someone that I, you know, have very strong feelings for and I'm very happy with, but then also having to work through and discard the sort of toxic things that you were taught your entire life and or also just having to reckon with it and having to be like, okay, I what does what does my religion the thing that i 100% believe in say about me how can i you know remain on the good side of that whereas and like from the beginning knew is like okay i'm going to look for ways to prove that god made me this way cuz i truly believe that you know she what she and she truly well and truly believed that she was created that way yeah which is very similar to like how i approached christianity once i realized who i was i was like i'm not um, doing internalized homophobia like i'm going to like comb it and research and find a way not not to like twist scripture because i do have a problem with that because i think a lot of people do twist it wrong but to really find out like what the bible really says and when you do you're like oh and you understand like the context of it you kind of get a whole different perspective which ann lister did and the fact she did that like a oh, hundred and something years ago is yeah. insane because that this whole school of thought is very new yeah. in Christianity, and she was doing it back in the eighteen like like early eighteen hundreds. That's like insane. Thirties. Oh, I guess that that was when it's yeah, so like she when she's known as she was a younger. kid. So and yeah. like a biblical education, yeah, and biblical education was a core part of nineteenth century. That was like a good portion. You learn to read from the Bible. Yeah. So then we and leaves in a lesbian huff of fury and is walking home we get that great two camera stuff and then this was perfectly timed it's just the talking i can't even know what the last line is she's just like in the middle of like ran into camera and then the camera goes wide and that man with the stick is like are you going home and she's like it, she can't even get what out of her mouth and he like poof, like Pops. It was so shocking yeah. when I saw that. You knew it was going to happen because it was in the trailer of the show and it was also in the trailer for the episode, like the last week's episode, the preview. Yeah. Um. So you yeah. knew it was going to happen, but man, that was just like, it just like, it, it was pretty, it was really hard to watch, but she fought back and I was like, I mean, you knew she would, but that actually happened. But in the show, it's insinuated and it's pretty much proven that christopher rawson hired that guy to like beat her up but in the diary it's not i'll read the excerpt from it real quick it's just real short hmm. uh it's dated the 25th of november 1832 and it does happen when she's walking home from lydgate which is where uh ann list ann walker lived um an impertinent fellow with a great stick in his hand asked if i was going home and made a catch at my queer God damn you, said I, and pushed him off. He said something which I took his meaning in attack. So I, said I, if you dare, I'll soon do for you. And he walked one way and I the other. I did not feel the least frightened. He, in, how involuntary, how involuntarily and bitterly I swear on these occasions. So a guy did attack her and um, beat her up a little bit. Didn't seem like did he beat her up as bad as it was in the show. Yeah. Yeah, I think in the show, I think his intention was to potentially, sec like, potentially rape her, um, abuse her. Yeah, but he does. He, he does make a he move get that in, far. in the show to do it. And that was a thing that was like, is that a thing that Christopher Lawson asked him to do? Or I assume that was him just going rogue and just being like, I'm just told to jump her, but while I'm here, uh, and I'm like, ugh trash but it, it but then he does abandon it once she like fights back and just enough for him to be like this isn't worth it yeah. um you know that's so interesting so that's interesting that in the diary she doesn't correlate it to the rossins yeah it, it's not clear whether it was it says here uh Anne Chandler wrote whether this was a random attack or a premeditated ambush the man did not appear to have been prepared for Anne's spirited response to his assault no so that did happen. She fought him the hell off. Good for yeah. her. Um, and it didn't seem like she beat it. He beat her up as bad as she did. They did in the show because that's for dramatic effect. But I love that last one where she's just like she stands back up after like spitting a bunch of blood on the ground and yeah. then looks at the camera and that music starts. And it's like completely acapella oh, yeah. too. There's no music. It's just like the straight acapella singing of the song. 
It's great. Also, the music is too jaunty that it would be such a tone switch. It would be uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, this scene, I was like, wow. Like, one, she's fierce as hell. But he does actually call her a dirty effing Jack. Yeah. He says the word. So I'm like, oh, so she, this is the first time we actually see her being called Jack to her face. Or one of the first. Mm-hmm. Maybe not the first. Uh, I did, oh, my only notes for this section was, Angus jumped, exclamation point, exclamation point, Dirty F and Jack. Uh, Anne goes full Street Fighter and the thug walks off. <laughs> the episode ends. Yeah, I just, I love that Anne, she just gets up and looks at the camera like, this ain't nothing. And then the music starts. I love it. And they do that again the next episode when she's um, watching, Anne, uh, spoiler alert, watching Anne drive off in the carriage. It plays like a very soft version of the title sequence. Of the of the theme song, yeah, I do it again, but I love it. And uh, preview into next week, episode six was sad, but you at least felt like they both they didn't leave on bad terms. Like it, it episode six was no, had a sad ending, but they left on like good terms. Yep. So the drama, the and the lesbian drama, literally, <laughs> um, is short lived. Thank God, but it's still very sad. And then we get the, oh, God, episode seven is, wait, is it episode? No, it's episode no, seven. Look, hey, we can't jump ahead. It is episode <laughs> seven. Yeah. No, no, no. We can't, um, we can't jump ahead to the thermometer as much as I would love to. Um, I know. I will say that. I was just like reminding myself, we only have uh, one more episode till we get to talk about it. Yeah. Oh, that is, um, that, that's a scene I was like, uh, to, I, it's just masterful screenwriting, what that is. Because that's like my favorite sort of thing where it's like, a element of obs- and it's very British. First of all, the thing where it's like serious, emotionally investing situation, and then something that's utterly disarming and hilarious, and has a more than a, a note of absurdity. I love it. I'm a sucker for it. Um, these extremely, ugh, I love it. I'm so I'm looking forward. Um, should we wrap up and do uh, favorite dialogue, favorite frame? I'm left on a very sad note. Um, let's talk about our favorite parts of the episode. So start off with favorite frame. Favorite frame. You want to go ahead and start? Yeah. Oh, mine was definitely in the beginning where Anne Lister is like in all black and like sitting in this hyper girly pastel room that belongs to Anne Walker and Anne Walker's like first waking up and she, it. I just love the, like the way that they dress Anne Walker. So, um, so light and they like shoot her to make sure like the light is coming off of her like golden hair versus and Lister and, and Sir Ann Jones who naturally is like you know has a very striking like brunette uh you know gorgeous brunette hair and in in all black it's just like this sort of gorgeous like contrast I just love for me it's going to be that last those last couple shots where she's like the guys walked off and she's just kind of being a, being a G really. She's taking it and she stands up and looks at the camera. And that last look is like the music comes in and the, the scene fades out. I love it. It's so badass and she is so resilient um, after such what really is like a violent homophobic reta- attack. She just kind of automatically is like and moving on. And it's kind of that keep, you know, keep calm and carry on like British, British mentality. Um, but I just really love that shot of her just staring into the camera. I've lost you. Are you back? You like stopped again. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I didn't get anything of what you just said. 
See, I'm gonna... Uh, All right, I'm gonna have to give costume proper the episode. I felt have I done this before? Hmm. Oh, I'm gonna have to do the smoking belt because it's just like it's exactly what it is. Yeah, the smoking belt. Smoking belt. Buckle. But also, I looked at it. This kid does not know how I to cover up she a murder. It. No, but I will say, like he. When the mom puts the belt on the ba- the table, she's like, I recognize it immediately because I gave it to your father and it was a gift from my father and his grandfather. I was like, this is a really ugly ass belt book. <laughs> I'm just like, I get they're poor and I'm not trying to like roast them for being, you know, poor and not knowing fashion and stuff. But I just looked at it. I'm like, why are you passing a belt book? Like of all the things, you know what I mean? Of all the clothing pieces, this weird belt okay also are all these men the same size how does this work are they just putting the buckle on different different pieces of leather does everyone have their own belt anyway it's a great pick yes all of this to say it just raises so many questions for me and me alone um dialogue of the episode how about you um the whole that whole flipping dining room scene man um, I only I love and I love the fair sex. I mean, I know that's like everybody's favorite quote, but that whole like speech, yeah. as much as I can fit into that sixty second Instagram video, I am because that whole speech is just like me in my life in a nutshell. I love it so 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 much. I, I, actually, it also might be like, I want you to be my wife, or she like cracks. Oh, that killed me. Oh, it killed me. That's good. Uh, for me, it was a toss up between. Uh, her reading Mr. Ainsworth and basically being like, get out of town. I don't want to run into you in this life and I'm sure as hell won't see you in the next. I loved it. Uh, well, the verbatim line is like, and I trust I have no reason to fear bumping into you in the next. And I was like, oh, that's such a good takedown. Ugh. But then also um, the, the part where she talks about like the God who made us, every one of us and all our richness and variety. And I'm just like, oh, so beautiful. It reminded me a lot of um the Victor Hugo quote in Les Miserables, which fun fact was my senior quote in high school because I was cool. <laughs> uh, to love another to love another person is to see the face of God. Um, you know, and I love that. And I love the one the gender neutrality of that statement. Um, but yeah, but also just the sentiment of it, which is you know, and as someone who is a practicing you know christian person where it's like yeah that is a sentiment that is echoed you know a number of times in the bible despite not being a thing that is practiced the most frequently in our society you know it is it's an ideal you know it's such a beautiful ideal um it's vq i love it yeah so yeah that was Episode five. It was a doozy. It was a sad one, but it only gets sadder. <laughs> and then, yeah, then we right. get the nice. <laughs> then episode eight comes. Yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah, these episodes were rough. A bummer. Man. I was until like the last ten minutes. The last ten minutes are the only happy yeah. part of episode eight. <laughs> episode eight is also a bummer. Like, don't forget, don't let that scene yeah. on the hill fool you. That is not most of that episode. I know. Oh, but hey, we have a uh, season two, man. At least we'll be married the whole time. We know they don't get divorced, so don't have to deal with that. So it's just going to be like minute, like dramas along the way. What is, oh, I was going to say, I was like, what is the gayest non-romantic activity that we could see them do in season two? And I'm like, but they wouldn't have assembled their own furniture. So I don't. I'm trying to think of like. Well, you know what I found out though? This is pretty gay. It's pretty gay. So, Anne and Anne opened a casino together in 1835 in Halifax. Wait. And like. Wait. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That is actually, yeah, going yeah, into they, business together. Owning a small business. Yeah. In the countryside is probably the gayest thing you can do. Yeah, they opened a casino together. And I think like. 
Anne Walker, it, like, let Anne lay the first brick or vice versa or something like that. And, like, Anne Walker made, like, a little speech and it was cute. Oh, see, that is a thing. I feel like that's some season three action. I feel like that's not a thing we would get to in season two. That's too much. It's not I don't know. Uh, season two is going to be 1834 through 1836. So 1834 through 1836 is season oh, like two. two years I'm would love that. That is so cute. I want to see them at a craps table. <laughs> you know what? Yeah. You know what? I feel like we'll get a reprise of that scene of Anne Lister, like card shark, card sharking a bunch of people and just being cool. Yeah. What if we, I want it. I want it. <laughs> All right. So that wraps up on that uh, more optimistic note than we uh, spent on most of this episode. Uh, this wraps up episode five of Jack the Last podcast. Uh, you can follow me, Carrie, at um, on Twitter at underscore I am living color and on Instagram at I am living color. Kelsey, where can they find y'all? I am on all social media platforms: Instagram, the Twitter, the Facebook, the LinkedIn at the Kelsey P Jones on all of them. So, yeah, follow me on any and all platforms. All right, guys, that's it for this week. We will see you this time next week right here on Jack the Last Podcast. Bye. Stay gay. I want to thank you guys again for listening to this week's podcast. Follow us online at Jack the Last Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and on Instagram. And check us out online at jackthelastpodcast.com. Jack the Last the Podcast is that hipster kid production produced, edited, and narrated by Kelsey P. Jones and Carrie Kears. Music is by Epidemic Sound. <laughs>